Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 29th of April, 2021 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. We are all busy missing someone these days while we navigate our brave new world. Hong Kong is an international city and Hong Kongers are an international people. And we're feeling the lack of travel just as keenly as everyone else. This week, as we walk through the streets of Hong Kong, avoiding the puddles from sudden downpours, we'll be listening to a story from Leanne about saying goodbye. After Leanne, we'll re-listen to one of my stories about being more independent. Before we get to today's stories, though, a huge thanks goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. You keep us telling stories, Hong Kong. Thanks for being there for us. Thanks go out to our overseas listeners as well. This week, particularly to those listening in Wasaga Beach in Canada, New Taipei in Taiwan, and Phillipsburg in St. Martin. We do have another show coming up, but I'm not going to go on about it much just yet, as tickets won't be on sale until the first week of May. The show will be on May 27th, and the host is Vincent. Curious to hear what our storytellers have come up with this time? You just wait. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now, here is Leanne. I open the refrigerator. I poke around. There's half-used seasonings, tea powders, weight loss supplements. And then I realize she's left. All these are mine now. And I start weeping. Just before this moment, I'm sitting in her room at her empty desk next to her empty bed, and I notice the power cord that's still plugged into the wall. I bend down, pull the cord, and the tiny red light on the strip dims to darkness. It's October 2020. Hannah, 42, born, raised, and schooled in Hong Kong, was my flatmate for four years. She's gone home to the USA to be with her husband. I, Leanne, 35, born in Canada, raised in the US, am at home in Hong Kong. I sent her off with an empty handmade bag, and she left me with a full refrigerator and a house loud with emptiness. I meet Hannah on my first day in Hong Kong four years back. She labels me, you're a third culture kid. And I identify with that. We have a conversation in imbalanced Cantonese and I move in a week later. We live in the same house for four years during which her father dies. She helps her friends through difficult transitions. She meets a man online in the US and marries him and moves her mother into an elderly care home amidst strong resistance. So Hannah is strong. She has opinions about church, marriage, politics, how women should look, and how to talk to people. Those four years transformed me, too. When I move in, I'm at war with half of my family. They disprove of my plan to eventually live with my partner while we're not married, and they shell me with bombs of guilt and morality. Hannah helps us negotiate a great rent when the upstairs flat opens up a year later. So we move in there. 
And she prays that we'll work out. But a year later, we split up. And when I date someone new, she is the first to know. Who is he? She asks. And I look at her and I tell her, Jody. And her body pulls back in surprise, her eyes widen. In one word, I've told her who I'm seeing and the fact that I like she's and he's. And after some questions, she says, okay, I'll pray for you. She does invite Jody as my date to her wedding weeks later. Not long after that, I lose myself in the relationship, and it costs me sleep, relationships with family and friends, connections, and I weigh in at 50 kilograms. And one day, after weeks of no sighting, Hannah sees me, and she says, Wow, you look horrifying. And minutes into my tearful account of how things are going, she interrupts. I'm sorry, this is not the right person for you. And she gifts me this tiny palm-sized lantern. On the side of it in Chinese script, it's written, when you find real love, then you will know true happiness. And she tells me to hang it in my room and wishes me good luck for my next relationship. And I appreciate her honesty, but I don't appreciate her advice on my next relationship while I'm still in one. So I just stash it in my room. And eventually I do have to relieve, I do have to leave the relationship with Jody. And I do so abruptly and dramatically. Hannah's not around when it happens, but she knows. And when she sees me next, she has another message for me. This time it's on a thin metal chain with tiny purple, black, and clear beads arranged irregularly to spell out the word believe in Morse code. And she says to me, more than this necklace, I'm gifting you a message. I want you to believe in yourself. Believe that your next relationship will be right for you. You can do better. <laughs> As with the prayers, lantern, uninvited comments, I stash it in my room. Soon after that, Hannah begins to cut ties with Hong Kong so she can move to the U.S. to be with her husband full-time. And as a first step, she gives up her lease and moves into the second room in my flat. So together again, we love, confuse, and disappoint each other. She takes out the recycling twice a year. Her daily entry into the bathroom sounds like a foraging Tyrannosaurus. She installs internet in my apartment when I already had internet, and it cut it off, but she didn't inform me. And she also labels me in ways I don't identify with. In the beginning of 2020, I take a trip around the world after I lose my job, and when I'm back in Hong Kong and in quarantine, officers show up at our house for a random check, unannounced. And she's surprised by the way they talk to me, and she asks, why would they speak Cantonese to you? I say, my Hong Kong ID has my Chinese name on it. And she says, so? Lots of Guaylo have Chinese names. When she announces her departure date, I'm ready. 
By then, I've started a business. I wear the Believe necklace daily, and I've hung the lantern on the doorknob to my bedroom. I even go on a date with a man, and she says, I'll pray for you. And she urges me to wear this bare-backed little black dress with domino-sized silver rhinestones down the sheer front of it to the fancy dinner in Central he'll take me to as planned in her head. That little black dress came from mountains of clothes that she discarded into the living room while she was packing. And from the same mountains of clothes, I pull out this bright Hong Kong mustard yellow frock that I transform into the bag that she takes with her. A week before she leaves, I'm ready to gift her this bag, and the apartment smells tense, mostly from packing and saying goodbye to 40 years of friends. So we're sitting across the table from each other over dim sum that she pan-seared for the two of us, and I slide to her this labelless tin box that used to contain egg rolls, and I tell her, I have a present for you. And she says, what's this? And I open my phone and show her a photo of the unmodified frock and ask her if she recognizes it. She says, yeah, Dima. I nod to the box. She opens it, takes out the first piece of cloth, and looks appalled because it's the top of the frock. The sleeves are still intact, so it could be a shirt, but there's nothing left below the armpits. She takes out the other scraps of cloth frantically, and finally the bag itself, and she unfolds it and holds it up so that we can both see the scene that I embroidered on it in black thread. It's the beach, the view from our village house, and there's three cats sitting there peering out to the islands. And she looks at it, and then she starts to touch it and says, I love these cats. She pets their embroidered fur. And then her eyes scan the script that I wrote on it. It says, Ha Young Jiga, which means your Ha Young family. Ha Young is the name of our village. Sends you off with blessings. And a tiny black umbrella hovers above the script. As her eyes scan the scene, I see her body melt, and she says, And true to her words, and for the fourth time in four years, I see her cry. After she leaves Hong Kong, I wear the Believe necklace every minute, every day, until one day it breaks. Now it's draped around the tiny lantern that still hangs on my bedroom door. We believe in Leanne, too. She's a lovely person who tells great stories and can do a wicked Wookiee impersonation. We hope to get more of our free workshops up soon. Keep an eye on the meetup and come and learn to tell your best story. Now a studio recording of a midlife crisis. Here is Rachel.
I stood next to a crumbling piece of stone in the British countryside and congratulated myself for finally making a good decision. I was standing next to a piece of Hadrian's Wall, built in 122 AD by Roman auxiliary forces, and still standing today in the north of England. I had walked out of Newcastle City Centre that morning at 5 a.m. to walk the 84 miles along the wall because I was having a midlife crisis. I was 40 and felt like I was spinning my wheels, not getting anywhere. I needed to break up the monotony of my life and try something new. I needed an adventure. But I was 40, so I needed an adventure with a safety net. I wanted to go solo hiking, relying only on myself and my own two feet. I looked around for somewhere wild, but not so wild that I had to fend off bears or I couldn't hitchhike to the nearest town and stay in a hotel if it rained or I got too cold. England was perfect. A well-trodden path, plenty of pubs and cafes just off the path, and no dangerous wildlife. Friends and family, when they learned of my plan, were horrified. You can't go alone, they said. It's not safe for you to travel by yourself. But I ignored their dire warnings and their fears. I was a strong and independent person. I could do this. I gathered my equipment. Water filter, a backpack, a first aid kit, sleeping bag, and compass. I'm not very strong. So to reduce the weight I needed to carry, I opted for a bivy sack instead of a tent. These are essentially a waterproof bag that zips over your sleeping bag and all the way around your head, leaving only a hole for your face. I was ready to go. As I walked along the wall that had stood the test of time, I started to feel better. All my worries melted away as I put one step in front of the other. I was strong and capable. I was mistress of my own fate, in control. By 6 p.m. I had walked 29 kilometers. My knees felt wobbly, and I was sure my pack was twice as heavy as when I set out. I wanted to stop, but I needed just the right place for my first night's sleep alone, outside in the wild. Up ahead, a grove of pine trees, carefully planted in neat straight rows, slowly came into view. How perfect. The pine needles made a sort of cushion on the forest floor, and there was a slight fold in the landscape that created the perfect hollow for privacy and comfort. I got ready for bed, washed and brushed my teeth, and climbed into my bivy sack. As I lay, warm and comfortable on the forest floor, reading my Kindle, I congratulated myself on the first successful day of my adventure. And that is when he first appeared. His small, beady black eyes and his pointed face looked out from behind a nearby tree trunk. I started, and then I laughed at myself. It was only a squirrel. He waggled his tail at me and ran around the trunk of the tree a few times before coming out onto a branch above my head, standing on his hind feet and going, I had no idea that squirrels could make that noise. But either way, I wasn't going to let it bother me. I turned the brightness up on my Kindle and continued to read. 
the squirrel jumped to another tree and started again. I pretended not to hear it. I must be sleeping on one of its favorite spots for hiding nuts or something. But it was a squirrel. They're famously not very bright. I ignored it, and I ignored it as it hopped from tree to tree, never far away, and continued to barrage me with its screams. Phew, he was a persistent little guy. But I am a human, and he is a squirrel, so there is no way I'm going to let him scare me away. I put away my book, zipped up my bivy sack, and turned my back to him. He continued. Sometimes higher up, other times lower down. It was a test of wills, me against the squirrel, but I am a strong and independent person, willing to face new challenges. I was not going to be intimidated by a squirrel. Finally, as dusk started to settle and the frantic scrabbling and eerie screaming stopped, I congratulated myself on sticking with my decision. There was nothing to be frightened of out here in the English countryside. Even a manic squirrel couldn't scare me away. I mean, what could a squirrel do to me anyway? My self-satisfaction was lulling my weary body into a deeper sleep when, fuck, something hit me. I sat up encased in my cocoon and looked around. Cradled in my lap was a pine cone, one of those from the trees above. I looked up and could just make out the tops of the trees in the late evening breeze swaying back and forth. It must have been shaken loose by the wind. As I lay down again, far above me, I saw a flash of a leaping gray body and a bushy tail high above. Fuck. Another pine cone landed on my recumbent form. Then thok, thok, two more came down from above and carried on the wind and the ever-darkening night came the eerie cry of I calmly and collectedly got out of my warm bed, turned on my flashlight, and carefully stowed my belongings in the pack. I wedged my tired aching feet into my shoes, slung the pack on my back and trudged another two kilometers in the ever-darkening gloom of night to an open pasture and the sheltering branches of an old oak tree. I was not defeated or lessened by my encounter. I had just come to the realization, with calm acceptance, that I could still be a strong and independent person somewhere else. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.